This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book about women in faith is coming out this summer, and I want you to be the first to get all the details about it. Enjoy the show. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm super pumped today to be talking with Jenny Allen. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Erica. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yes, well, you are a bit of a dream guest. I've been reading your stuff for a very long time. Anything is one of my favorite books, so it's really, really a pleasure to talk with you today, and thank you for taking the time. Wow, thank you for saying that, and anything is not the book most people say. That was so long ago. (gasps) I know, I know. It was so long ago. 10 years old, probably. Did you read it a long time ago or? I read it probably five years ago. Um, it was my small group read it and I had not read any of your stuff. And I think it might've just when I was, when I was first introduced to you. Um, and so, yeah, I've been following along ever since. So thanks. (laughs) Awesome. Great to be here. Um, now you have a new book coming out and I would love for you to tell me just a little bit about that new book. Yeah. So it's called find your people. And it is really focused on deepening community and finding community if you don't have it yet. And knowing that it's post-pandemic, prior to the pandemic, we had three and five people was what the research said felt like they were lonely, admitted to that. So I'm guessing on this side of the pandemic, and again, we're not in the clear, we're we're certainly not out of it yet, but we're definitely able to see people a little bit more than we were a year ago or two years ago. So 
what I see happening is people have not flexed that muscle. And so just helping people, giving them tools and the conversations to have and the way to think about community to integrate it into the crevices of their lives. Because most people think I'm too busy to add this to my life, but the reality is you are built communal. It's who you are. It's how you are born. In fact, from the moment you are born, Kurt Thompson, a neuroscientist says, you come out of the womb looking for someone looking for you. So in our very DNA, like who we are as people is a communal people that we are looking for people looking for us. And, and so it's, it's honestly a passion project for me. I, I saw it first in Uganda in a way that I wanted to replicate in my life. And so I did the research of how people have lived in communities throughout time and then looked today at different cultures and how people do it better than us in other places and pulled from that five patterns of living that, that can bring this about wherever you live, uh, no matter how far away it feels that you to having good friends, it's possible. Yeah. I, I love that topic. I've done a little bit of research on it myself and especially coming out of the pandemic. I think it's super important. The one thing that I thought of when I was reading the description was you know, it's really hard for people that might be introverts or if you're having like a lot of anxiety or depression issues, do you address kind of dealing with those personality types of things? Yes. In fact, yes. I quickly have to say, if you're an introvert, just keep reading. Hang on. Uh, (laughs) I know that it's easy for introverts to think, oh no, I'm good alone. Well, research and Scripture will say you're not. It's not okay for you to be alone. In fact, when God built humans, He set them on the earth, and the first thing He said, "It is not good for a man to be alone." And so, therefore, we've got to take a real hard look at what we mean when we say alone. It's not that it's never good for someone to be alone. In fact, it is. You see, uh, reasons for doing that plenty, but we have been so alone that we've got to take intentional steps to deeper connection. Now, one good word for the introverts. Introverts are actually better at this than you would think. They, the kind of connection I'm talking about is not going to parties, although maybe that's part of it for you. It's actually a deep, rich conversation over coffee and as you're going throughout your life. And so putting, you know, those people are probably already in your life, but looking at them in a deeper way, introverts are actually often very good at at doing that. And then secondly, what you mentioned is so important, the anxiety and depression. What we've got to recognize and science shows us clearly is that one reason there is so much anxiety and depression is because we are so disconnected that we have lost our uh, empathetic, empathetic nervous system connections. And so we actually need to reignite those and, and to cause, you know, and, and honestly, like connection brings healing. It's why mm-hmm. therapy can be so, so powerful, especially group therapy, because you find yourself in the midst of other humans that are, that are um, empathetically listening to you. And you were, you were again made to have someone looking for you. So when someone listens, when someone nods, when someone touches your back, your shoulder, all those things are actually bringing about healing. Now, the hard part about that and where I have to write a book and not a pamphlet to convince people is that it takes a long time and a lot of awkward steps to get to the place where you really feel safe with people. And so that's my hope is that I really hold people's hands through the one-on-ones that you need to do to take friendships that maybe you already have into a deeper place where you feel safe and you can share about those anxieties and you can share about the difficulties you're facing because that's actually where a lot of the healing comes from. Yeah. Speaking of friendships now, I know I've heard you talk in the past about you have good girlfriends that you've prioritized and, um, Friendships as an adult are weird and different sometimes, especially 
when you've got little kids, it's very hard to make them a priority. How have you intentionally made friendships a part of your adult life? So I would say I haven't always had those deep friendships. In fact, I've lost a lot of friends over the years and, and to common um, themes actually of why they, they're no longer friends or, or it was difficult for them to be my friend. And it had a lot to do with that. I didn't need people that I was there for them, but, but they rarely had to be there for me for anything. And it wasn't that I wasn't going through things. I just wasn't accustomed to focusing on it or sharing it. And I didn't, I I was awkward at that skill of being vulnerable and, and transparent about what's going on in my life, especially when it came to negative things. And so I have had to grow in that. And I would say one of the first things to do is to notice who's already in your life, who is already, who are you already seeing? Because nobody has time for adding another big thing to their life, right? Like we really need to go with who's the person that walks their dog every day outside your door. Who is the person that you're sitting next to while your kids play sports? Who is the person in your cubicle over who that you enjoy when you do talk for one minute in passing and take those conversations and make them a little bit longer, a little bit deeper. I'm in a little group of 2000 people that are reading the book early. And it's been so fun to hear their takeaways and what's happening around them. Um, And one of the things a woman talked about being sitting next to another mom all the time at gymnastics, like there's all these moms waiting for their kids and they're always just scrolling and making phone calls and doing work. And, and because of the book, she, she basically had a longer conversation with the mom next to her 30 minutes long while they were sitting there anyway. And they had so much in common and are actually doing a game night next week together with their husbands. And, and it was just because, you know, they were sitting there anyway, they typically would have been scrolling, but instead they just had a conversation. And so I don't see this as rocket science. I see this as small, little risky steps that feel a little bit awkward, right? Yeah, that is a little bit awkward when you, especially when you've been sitting there for months together and not talking, right? Like to take it deeper, to actually ask real questions it does feel vulnerable and awkward, but it's in those vulnerable, awkward moments that we actually connect. I remember Jennifer Lawrence, if y'all know, she's an actress and she's, she's very likable. And early on when people didn't know who she was, she was accepting an award for something. And she fell. I remember she fell. It was one of the first times I ever saw her. She fell up the stage while she was receiving the award. And I mean, she just turned around and like, was great. She was like, Oh, well, what are you going to do? And she laughed about it. Well, everyone loved her after that. And I think that's what we've got to trust is like, there's something precious and sweet in the awkward and we got to do it anyway. Yeah. The scrolling is really, uh, handicapped the socialization with strangers, no matter where you are. Like if you're at, I'm not my kid's ninja class and everybody's looking at their phone. So there's not a great opportunity to talk. So I think I think I'm seeing more of a push for people to be more intentional about that kind of thing and put their phones down. And I think that's going to be definitely a positive move for society. Um, I want to pivot a little bit into the if gathering, obviously one of the biggest things that you do. And I remember hearing you tell the story. I think when we did anything, we did the video series as well in my Bible study. Um, And so I remember you talking about sort of getting that word from God. And I like to ask people, you know, how do you hear from God? How do you know it's a real word from God. And then what do you do? Oh, um, I remember a mentor saying one time, you don't know it's from God till it happens. And I think that is a very wise thing to, to know because there's nothing worse than a bad prophet, right? That doesn't know what they're talking about and it never happens. So I, I'm, I'm someone who very reluctantly, you know, senses something and then 
I do my, you know, and then you take it to scripture, you take it to community and, and then you, you say, okay, I, I see this would align with the word of God and, and the people in my life that know me best are agreeing that this is a good thing. And then you take steps and, and then you trust. And, and a lot of times those things have failed, right? I mean, I would say if anything has, has hurt me more in my ability to take huge risks for God, which is what that book is about anything, then it has been failed risk, right? Or seemingly failed. But what I've learned is even in the failure, like something's happening, like God's doing something in the failure. And I don't think that it's that we didn't hear from him or that we did something massively wrong. I think it's just a little bit of a messy process. And, and I hope people see that part of my life as well, because when you look at if gathering, it's so magical. I mean, women all over the world, if you don't know, it's a conference where women all over the world lead in their spaces. We'll have, you know, over 3000 events happening at the same time around the world, multiple countries. Usually we reach, you know, upwards of 120 something countries. So there's something really beautiful in all these women around the world, worshiping God together and connecting through digital media. However, yeah, you know, not everything turns out like that. <laughs> so I, I do think there is there is just something about connection to God that He's after. And the longer I go, the more I just want to stay right there, like right beside Him. I think of the verse, "My burden is is light, my yoke is easy." Well, what He's talking about is the idea of an ox is is pulling, and that that would be God, and we're with Him. You know, the yoke is is easy because he's the one pulling it and causing it to happen. And I have seen that be true in the good times and the bad times that he is able to keep going. Um, so I got the impression and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you never intended to sort of be this big author on big stages. Um, and, and yet here you are. And I saw, I heard so many great things about your, um, your talk at passion. Like I just, I was hearing wonderful things about that. And so I'm just wondering, you know, well, is that true for one? Like, is that true? You didn't see this for yourself or did you? Oh, no. Okay. I mean, what, what's real is this wasn't even a career path for people, right? I mean, this this was when I was growing up, I didn't know women could even use their gifts to to teach and and write like this. I mean, the only people I followed and what I, I thought I would do was missionaries. That was who I most resonated with. Those were the writers in my childhood. It was Elizabeth Elliott and Amy Carmichael and people like that. And so I, I read their stories and that was really all I could see myself doing in public ministry with the gifts that I felt like God had given me. So no, I, I didn't know this was all possible. And, and I didn't want this. I mean, I still, I mean, even this morning I have to watch myself because, and I stopped myself this morning, even because I'm, I'm really trying to be just really grateful and even let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to God. Cause I don't, I don't want to be ungrateful for what I have, but I do feel like there are days. And this morning was one of them where I just, it's hard. Like it, it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel easy. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And so I just, I just keep going, okay, Lord, if you, I want to be where you want me to be, I want to be with you. So, so far that's been very public lately. And and it's okay. I, there's so much good about that. Are you kidding? I mean, there's so much that's wonderful about my job and my life and what I get to do. This would be a highlight today, but I don't, I don't, um, I know I never saw this and, and it's curious to me, you know, cause this new generation that's coming like wants it, like they really are like clamoring for it. And I, I just would say, 
be careful what you wish for, because mm-hmm. there's a, there is a burden to leading a lot of people that you see consistently throughout history drove people to near madness. Like, and, and even today you see a lot of people um, not doing well under, under that. And so I I'm someone who just holds it very loosely. I keep my, my real life very close. I am in deep community. I have um, people that can tell me when I'm wrong and do often. I just try to, I try to keep that as my real world and disciple people in my real life. And then hopefully that overpours and overflows into other people's lives through the venues that he's given me. Yeah. Well, I know that in, if gathering sort of has a a phrase of discipling a generation and uh, you know, that word discipling, I feel like that's something that maybe is missing in a lot of ways from some church culture these days. Um, Do you see that it's missing um, in the church generally? Uh, I think it's discipling is kind of a hard thing to sort of like, Oh, let's have a discipleship program, but I do see it's lacking. Yeah, it is hard to define. I think that what you've got, I mean, let's spoil it down what it is. It's follow me as I follow Christ, right? That's, that's the idea of discipleship. Like follow, come follow me and I'll show you how to follow God. And that is missing. I mean, (laughs) uh, we think of discipleship as teaching and certainly Jesus taught the disciples as he was discipling them. That's part of it. Knowledge is something that you need to to follow God. You've got to have some knowledge, but largely it's watching. I've noticed that with my kids, the older they get, the more I see their values resembling a lot of ours, even though we never, I never remember teaching them Mm. to care about this or that, but they saw us care about that. And so then therefore, you know, my daughter is starting by gathering a lot of different people, different ethnicities together. And on college at campus and, and talking about what that feels like and how that, and I'm going, I never remember ever saying to her, you should do that or, or you should care about this, but she saw me care about it. And so therefore she, she brought together different people when she got to college to learn from them. And so I hope and think that's what dis- the best parts of discipleship are, is that as we're following God and as that people are following us, that they, they pick up the things that God cares about. And, and that, that isn't happening because people aren't living life close enough Mm-hmm. to each other for that to happen. So I think that's one of the huge things I hope happens in the book is that we all would live life more closely together. And then therefore there would be um, more natural discipleship happening in our day in and day out lives, because it's not our pastors that are supposed to actually be doing this. It says pastors, people paid uh, to do ministry are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the kingdom. So they're actually supposed to equip us to know how to go and make it disciples. We're the ones that are supposed mm-hmm. to go do it. So my hope is that we would reclaim that as, and that's what if gathering is done. I mean, all over the world, women have said, I'll lead. They're not on staff. A lot of them, they're not sitting there with some title or getting paid to do this. They just know, you know what? I want to make disciples in my place, in my neighborhood, on my campus, in my apartment complex, in my workplace. And they're gathering their people around content that, that we've prepared for them. And then they're helping them follow God. It's, it's really, that was always the dream was we give you tools to help you make disciples in your places. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I know you guys have, you have if gathering, but you also have the if, if local stuff going on and just giving people those resources. And I was going to say, yeah, that totally ties into your book and the community side of things. And for me, it's, you know, all about the church community too. And I'm sure for you as well, um, and how important that is. And that does make sense that, you know, the closer we are, that more naturally discipleship will sort of, uh, you know, cultivate and happen. Um, and that also leads me to talking about your kids' books, which 
I keep seeing these beautiful ads pop up. They're just so pretty and I'm like irresistible. So uh, tell me a little bit about the kids book series. Yeah. So that was a dream of mine from when my kids were little, which they're very old now. They're all grown, not all grown, but I've got seventh grade through a senior in college. And, and when they were little, I was in seminary and everything I was learning, it made me sad because I was just learning it in my twenties. And I had these young kids at home and I wanted to teach them everything I was learning. And so that was the dream was to build tools that disciple kids and, and that help parents do it right. That don't do it for them, but that comes alongside tools. They can, they can use with their kids when they're tucking them in and, and conversation starters. And it's been so amazing. The kids and the conversations that have been started and the people that have told us that their kids prayed to receive Christ right there, like in the middle of reading a book, because I think kids are hungry for God. And what we try to do is not water it down. We told the story of God, first person in God's voice, putting scripture through it throughout, but keeping it in a whimsical, clear voice that, um, that they're loved and that God has a plan for their lives and that they are, uh, they they are important parts of the story of God, but also he has redeemed them from their sin. You know, I mean, it's just super simple and clear, but it walks from creation to uh, heaven and and it gives the big picture story of the Bible, which I never got till seminary. And when I got it, it was like all the lights came on of of why parts of it exist and and are boring and why other parts are there. And it just it made it all make sense. And so my, my heart and goal was to give that big picture story of God to kids at a young age. Yeah. I, I, I love that because I kind of feel the same way. Um, I feel like I didn't, well, I am learning right now. I didn't learn a lot of really basic theological concepts until somewhat recently, even though growing up in the church, like, you know, Sunday school kid right here, but there was a lot missing. And I think, I don't know what you think about this, but it seems to me that could be, you know, part of the issue as to why we see people walking away from their faith later in life. And some of the, you know, people identifying with, uh, with no faith, I think sometimes I feel like kids have maybe not gotten the foundations they need yeah. for the faith as children. And so I'm seeing this sort of resurgence of children's Christian children's books like yours. And I think it's awesome. And I'm totally digging in. My kids are three and six. So we are in the thick of that kind of stuff. And I'm buying all the books and it's learning so much along the way as I'm trying to teach them. Um, and so I, I'd be curious about your thoughts on, on that in terms of kids not getting the foundations they need, even when they're in church. Well, yes. And I would say, again, knowledge is a big part of it. If they don't know, how are they supposed to believe and how are they supposed to follow? We have to give the truth away. We have to give it in a way that people can receive it. And so I remember Paul saying, you know, by, by all means possible, by, by every means we've got, we need to be throwing the gospel to people and, and doing it creatively and doing it through arts and music and doing it through uh, our workplaces and excellence in our jobs. We need to do it in every way. And certainly for kids, we need to bring it to their level in a way that they can receive, but we need to bring it the truth of the word of God to them on their level, not water it down. And what I saw in my you know, parenting was a lot of tools that I, I respect and like, I mean, really use those tools, but it was vegetables that were singing to them. It was uh, storybook Bibles that told about Noah's Ark, but never really made sense of why that mattered. Like you just learned the story of Noah's Ark. Nobody ever told you what that meant. Yes. Yeah. Um, then you have like sweet, like Max Lucado books. I love those books. I wore those books out with my kids, a little caterpillar and, but, but again, we kept talking around things. And again, I, I don't 
I'm so glad those things exist, but I felt like what was needed was somebody to speak directly to the kid about what all those things mean and, and to give them a framework for all those things to actually mean something to them. It means something to us because maybe somewhere along the way we learned that, that what God was doing on earth and what, what he wanted for us. But if we've never heard that or learned that it's really hard to take in those stories and try to process, we can't barely explain that to our kid, how Noah's Ark shows God's love. It's like, well, that actually was really very difficult story that a lot of people <laughs> yeah. died. You know? I mean, I, I don't know. Like that was our kids' stories that we told them. So I, th- I think just being all things to all people, part of that is in a lovingly loving way, which is, you know, I've been blessed to go to seminary. I've been blessed to, to get to articulate those things to my kids. So I felt like that was something I could do for people is just articulate the story of God in a way that was understandable and that they could have conversations around. Yeah. Now, are you going to be doing more books in the series? Um, okay. I was going to say, it seems like you're launching for looking for uh, a lot more after the, these five that are out. I think there's a lot of topics I want to cover and a lot of work to be done in this world of, of being direct with kids and, and talking um, the heart of God and and what he's after. Cause I think, you know, Mr. Rogers believed it. In fact, that Mr. Rogers documentaries that I've watched, I, I, me and Mr. Rogers would have clicked on this fact that we think kids can take a lot more. In fact, they need somebody to explain a lot more to them than we are and do it in a clear way. He tackled all these topics of, of racial divides and of, mm. of divorce and of, poverty and charity. And like, he talked about all these big topics with kids and he just did it real sweet and direct. And sometimes he used puppets, but lots of times just sat there and told them, you know, this is what you need to know. And, and he just really believed we don't have to always be fun and happy. We can also talk about real things. And I think that's my hope for this brand is that we would produce content that, that helps you just really speak the things over your kids. One of the books I'm working on right now is my most recent um, book before you find your people was get out of your head. And it's just, you know, been a, a, sadly, a very needed resource for a lot of people. And, and so I want to do that for kids. I want to help them be able to name their emotions and talk about what God's plan is for those and, and for their mind and for the, the anxious feelings they have, because how much better to learn those things when you're three and four and five than when you're 30, 40, 50. So my yeah, hope yeah. is to build resources that are really clear and compelling and real and that help you disciple your kids in all the ways of life. Yeah. Well, they look amazing and I'm sure they're going to do awesome because people are looking for those resources. Um, I just have a couple more questions. So I want to ask you about one of my passions is building the local church. Essentially local church is right now a huge passion of mine. I actually have a book coming out later this year about it, about women in the church. And so I'm talking a lot about and to women who have left the church and, and we've seen those numbers. You may know them. Christian women leaving the church is strangely a huge demographic that's left. I was really shocked to discover that. Um, and so I want to encourage people to come back. And so I'd love to hear from you. What's your encouragement on why to consider coming back and why the local church is so important to our walks as Christians and, and families and all of those things? I think a lot of women probably have carelessly left. There's certainly mm-hmm. people that have been wounded by the church I've heard those stories. Um, there have been women that have felt just incredibly hurt by by the church and disappointed in in the church. And, and gosh, I mean, we all can can build that that case in our heads any day of the week as far as the global church and and how some of its faults and and things that has not done well lately. I mean, and 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 sometimes 
been insanely destructive with abuse and, and attaching to things that are of this world rather than spiritual. So uh, again, I could go down that road and I could build that, but I think a lot of women probably have almost accidentally come out of the church where they're, they, it wasn't meeting their needs. It wasn't using their gifts. It wasn't, it just didn't feel essential to their lives anymore. And they just kind of started watching online during quarantine and they just haven't gone back. And what I would say is that works for a little while, but it does not work for long. And I saw a great quote from somebody that said, you know how a generation becomes unchurched is you accidentally stop going to church because of the pandemic. And your kids aren't going to ask you, why did you stop going to church? And they're not going to care that it was a pandemic. They're just going to grow up and say they never went to church. And so we are, we are discipling the next generation and what we value and what we believe. That's how you do it. Not what you say, but what you do. And so for our family, I mean, just, I mean, I'm imagining how hard it is for everybody because my husband was a pastor. I'm in public ministry. Like we are committed to the local church. My whole ministry exists to serve the local church. You can go see it on the website. That's, that's our goal. And I've had a hard time getting to church on Sundays because you can just be like, oh, let's just watch it at home or, or, and then maybe you get busy and don't even do that. So, so I understand, but we have in our family, we have said, no, not only are we going, but we are going to go back to sitting up front. We're going to go back to, to really worshiping and singing the songs. Like we're going to believe that these practices are feeding our soul because that's what scripture says we need that we, we go and encourage each other as long as it's called today. And the verse says, so that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness, that that's what you've got to realize is happening. You're either being encouraged as long as it's called today and your heart is being made to flesh, right? Like from stone to flesh. That's what the gospel does to us. That's what worship does to us. So it's either being softened and, and tender to God and to people and to his word and to his, and to following him. Or it's being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I would guess, as I've seen in my own life and my children's lives, that that harden doesn't actually happen overnight. It happens slowly and gradually, and you don't even notice it's happening. So I would just say out of a desire to be someone who not only attends church, because I'm not legalistic enough to go just because I'm supposed to. I got to know why. I'm just, I'm not that way. I didn't grow up in a legalistic background and I'm not legalistic. So for me, it's not simple. I, I lived in Austin for 12 years. Nobody goes to church, right? I mean, nobody goes to church. <laughs> I like California. No, it's just super rare. It's a beautiful town and you're on the water in the morning on Sundays. So you don't go unless you are compelled to go because it is, it is life to you. It is life to your bones. And that is my hope is that people remember, you know what, not only am I going to go, I'm going to go sit on the front row. I'm going to serve in the nursery. Like I'm going to, I'm going to strap this thing on and I'm going to be the church. And mm -hmm. as we do that, we connect with other people. We have what we need in times of suffering. We, we're, we're connected to a body and we're playing our part and they're playing their part to help us. That was an amazing answer. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. I love that. Um, okay. Last question. I just want to know what you're reading and what you're loving. Man, my I, somebody asked me this the other day and I looked over at the books beside my desk and I'm like, man, there's no theme. After I finished writing a book where I've read everything on that topic, it's like, I just, I literally start ordering everything that looks good. Um, I have been reading a book by John Eldridge because I'm heading into a season of sabbatical called Get Your Life Back. And I'm really processing what I need to do in that season of rest and, and what, what's, why am I struggling a little, you know, fatigue and all that? Um, I am reading a book about my health, um, and just how to maintain that. Um, and I can't remember the name of that book yet. 
right now, but it's super <laughs> interesting. Um, I'm reading a book. Oh, I mean, I, I actually randomly ordered the knowledge of the Holy. I hadn't read that. I've, I've read all of Tozer just about and love him. And for some reason, I'd never read that one. Gosh, it's good. Um, so I'm reading that one right now, kind of in a devotional way. So yeah, I'm always reading a little of a lot of books. <laughs> Same. I have a problem. I've got a problem with Amazon. I'm constantly on there ordering things. I can't stop. And especially if you are working on a book, you're like, I need to read everything ever written about this topic or I'm going to miss something. So totally get that. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for your time and your work and all that you're doing. I really appreciate it. And I will look forward to your book coming out soon. Thank you, Erica. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.